That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Okay, so it's official now. We have had days of speculation about who Donald Trump's Secretary of State will be. And not only has he so far crowded his cabinet with billionaires, some of whom are measly millionaires, but a lot of Wall Street uh, figures after running a campaign saying he would drain the swamp, but... Also, now we have confirmation from Donald Trump's transition transition team that he will nominate Rex Tillerson, who, surprise, surprise, has, in, in, in as a part of his business dealings around the world as the CEO of ExxonMobil, has a longstanding relationship with Russia and Vladimir Putin. There's an interesting thing going on here, right? Because you've got... Like, some okay picks, right? Some picks that would, like, under any other um, Republican, Republican president. president. Elaine Chow we is might the not love, We might not love Jeff Sessions as attorney general. That, I certainly, that one might be a little more. Well, I mean, he's a senator, and he's been serving for a long, long time. Look, 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 I hate Jeff Sessions. I am horrified that he's going to run the, uh, that he's going to be attorney general. But, like, Ted Cruz would have could have easily put him in there, right? Sure. I mean, a lot of Republicans could have put him in there. Right. So that's not a crazy pick, I don't think. I don't love it, but I don't think it's a crazy pick. You know, yeah. Rick Perry to head the energy. Rick Perry is a highly competent man. Right. right. He was the governor of, he was Texas, governor of Texas. And obviously, if you're talking about energy. He and I don't disagree. And he and I both apparently do a lot of drugs. <laughs> but he and I don't agree on everything. But he's a perfectly competent person to run uh, a, a cabinet position. Okay. Rex Tillerson, what the hell? So the idea Where does here, that come from? Well, the idea that the Trump transition team is making is that because he has dealt in international business for such a major corporation, he has traveled all across the world, met with heads of state. Um, But that's very different from diplomatic relations. And this is, of course, the secretary of state. This is someone who is supposed to go and be the U.S. envoy for peace talks related to the Syrian civil war. So I, I, I also agree with you that as far as experience is concerned, um, it's not just that he does not have the relevant experience. It's also, though, this issue where he is someone who has called for lifting U.S. sanctions on Russia because he was at the helm of a company uh, that was dealing directly with Russia. And acor- according to a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission in 2014, ExxonMobil was losing about a billion dollars because of those sanctions. And uh, and he is said to be close to Vladimir Putin, which I think will make these confirmation hearings, which will originate in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, interesting. You've already heard pushback from some Republicans. Marco Rubio tweeted, and I'm slightly paraphrasing, but a friend of Vladimir, quote unquote, is not an attribute I would look for in a secretary of state. Uh, this Republicans have a 10 to 9 majority on that committee. So if they lose even one, 
then then he yeah. doesn't clear the vote. Uh, and it's unusual, highly unusual for leadership to break with the committee and just bring the nomination straight to the floor. But even if they did, they have a 52 vote majority and you've had Lindsey Graham and John McCain also express concerns. So they actually can't have really many defections at all. I do think this is a great test, though, for the Republican Party because they've made their hard line against Russia such a central pillar of the last uh, several years and in, in terms of their criticism of the Obama, Obama administration, are they going to confirm a friend of Vladimir as the Secretary of State? I'm going to give you a real early hot take. Yes. He's not going to be Secretary of State. Rex Tillerson will not be Secretary of State. You think they'll... Be- I really don't think so. Because, I mean, for all of the unconventional ways that Donald Trump has run his campaign and certainly intends to be president... This is way, way, way far out of the norm, I think, for even Republican senators. Right. And, you know, he's going to get most of his nominees through. I don't think mm-hmm. Democrats can really put together a fight. Right. But if you had to go and you have to defend Rex Tillerson, I don't know what you say. I mean, his defense on Fox News was, oh, he's a, he's a world-class player. Right. He makes deals with all the biggest right. countries. Well, well that was not, that was the point that I, I think that they'll Yeah, that they'll but that's not your job. Point. Right. That's not the job of being Secretary of State. <laughs> right. There's a big difference between being really, really good at business, which he clearly is, and being good at diplomacy, which yeah. is totally different. Right. I think he's going to get shut down. I, and, you know, you're right, because Jeff Sessions was a nominee you raised, who is, of course, Trump's pick for attorney general, and he was not confirmed for federal judgeship in the 80s because of comments he had made about African-Americans that were deemed racist and under another, maybe except for Ted Cruz, under another Republican president, let's say like a Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or John Kasich, Jeff Sessions probably wouldn't have been the pick. But um, they were very readily willing to confirm him. Sure. And they said it pretty much right away that they would confirm him. So I think, as you say... They, they, they want to pick their battle accordingly. Um, and also this is coming against the backdrop of the other big news, which is the continued discussion of Russian hacking into the U.S. presidential race. Um, I actually want to first kick it off with Mitch McConnell uh, kind, of, kind of addressing the fact that there was indeed Russian interference and he believes that it should be probed. Any foreign breach of our cybersecurity measures is disturbing, and I strongly condemn any such efforts. So you have the Senate Majority Leader um, beginning by just saying he condemns it. He also actually had this to say about Republicans, because some Republicans are trying to adopt the Trump line that this is a distraction, it's partisan. It defies belief that somehow Republicans in the Senate are reluctant to either review Russian tactics or ignore them. So this, for the those who may have forgotten who are listening, it has to do with the hacks into the DNC server. Those emails of the Democratic National Committee were leaked right before the party's convention in Philadelphia in July. And then the hacking of John Podesta, Clinton campaign chairman, which happened in October. And obviously batches of these emails were released that really damaged Hillary Clinton's campaign. And both Republicans and Democrats believe not only in the intelligence that supports this, which the CIA can all but confer- has confirmed, um, but also that the matter needs to be investigated. Donald Trump actually picked a fight this weekend with the CIA 
saying this is the same agency that said we have weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So that was a pretty strong statement. That was from his team, not his own mouth. And then, you know, gave a line we've heard from him several times before that, well, it could have been Russia, it could have been China, it could have been someone sitting in a bed somewhere. We don't really know. I mean, he knows what happened. <laughs> right. This is all bluster. This is all trying to cover things up. Um, I, I got a lot. I mean, I got a lot of thoughts on this whole hacking thing. Mm. Um, I think that first of all, it, it, it there there are some questions about whether or not you even report on information that was hacked. Right. But I think that that genie's out of the bottle. That is right, too late. That, that happened. The <laughs> but then at the same time, I mean, so Russia hacked the election, which I think is very upsetting, and we should be very concerned about that. But at the same time, would Hillary Clinton still have lost? Probably. So that's the, that, probably. That, so that's part of what is the debate here too. Is is this the only reason? But I haven't heard anyone, for the most part, saying that this is why she single handedly lost. Although Harry, no, but Reed, there are people who said that we should have some. I mean, there are people sure. out there who are saying, you know, this is this is a a, a, a breach of our democracy. We have to have a total revote. Other countries oh. would have a totally different election, like a redo, if something like this happened, which I think is garbage. Joining me now in studio is a friend and former colleague of mine, Arthur Delaney, who is, of course, a senior reporter at the Huffington Post. Very senior. Good morning, Arthur. Good morning, Sabrina. And you that call- senior, jeez, no, I'm very not- senior. He's got two kids. Okay, I guess that puts you. It's senior. Like, it's not like senior citizen. It's, <laughs> I get it. I've, I've been there a long time. He's and been there a long. He's one of the originals. You, know, you go. You go way back at the Huffington Post. Yes, two thousand nine. Oh, right. Nice. This is, you know. You know, speaking of senior, it's um. Oh. Don't you dare! Don't do it! Don't, don't do it! Don't you dare! You know what? I'll save it for the end of the show. Okay. Go ahead. Proceed. Save it for the end of the show. We have us. We have a something for you to look forward to—a cliffhanger, if you will. Uh, follow Arthur on Twitter at Arthur Delaney. Uh, Arthur, we are talking about the breaking news first and foremost that Donald Trump has made it official. He intends to nominate Tim uh, as his secretary of state. This is, of course, CEO of Exxon Mobil. Um, and we, a lot, of, a lot of the news, and we too have been talking about his ties to Russia, how that conflicts with the Republican orthodoxy to be extremely tough on Vladimir Putin. But just as you got here, you were pointing to another interesting aspect about how this is at odds with Donald Trump's candidacy or what he campaigned on, and that is free trade. Tell us more. Right. Well, Tillerson's a CEO, which is itself Mm -hmm. unusual, I think, for a secretary of state. But as a a person in charge of a global company, he loves free trade because that makes his job easier. You know, he can find the lowest labor costs, et cetera, wherever they are. And, of course, that's the total opposite position to Donald Trump's, whose core economic message throughout the campaign was that free trade has been terrible for American workers, I mean, it's the it's the type of contradiction that for Donald Trump is is just oh, well here we go again. It's not the first person in his cabinet or in his inner circle whose views are totally different than his own. Of course, his own views are so unusual that it would be hard for him to probably find a lot of Republican pro- professional people mm-hmm. who would agree with him. But there's another contradiction for you, right? And their his own views are not only unconventional; they're also just very fungible. It seems like you could just have a conversation with him, and he'll walk out 
and then five minutes later having changed his position. He's not an ideologue. But you mentioned appointments. He also has put in charge uh, two now formerly top honchos from Goldman Sachs. We already knew that Steven Mnuchin, who spent 17 years at Goldman Sachs, uh, was is his pick to be Treasury Secretary. And now he has chosen the Goldman Sachs president to be his, the head of his National Economic Council. Yep, this is a, another total contradiction from a campaign message, which was drain the swamp, <laughs> which was bashing Hillary Clinton for making paid speeches to Goldman Sachs, uh, which was letting the the it, Nazis <laughs> on uh, uh, the internet use Goldman Sachs as a proxy for all things Jewish yeah. and their right. sick memes, uh, which was something that he himself flirted with when he, you know, for instance, tweeted a picture of Hillary Clinton with a, a Star of David and, uh, you know, a mm-hmm. whole bunch of money. So it's just, it's the opposite of what he campaigned on. What's, what's interesting to me about this, though, is, and this is not nothing new, but if you look at how he projects, right, like Donald Trump is everything that he accused Hillary Clinton of being. Right. So in bed with Goldman Sachs. Now he's got Goldman Sachs all inside the uh, inside his cabinet. You know, she's crooked and is covering things up. He never released his tax returns. We were going to look at those. So like right. anything that he says somebody else is doing, he's probably doing it. He's himself, probably doing right? it. So, so the Goldman- they're rigging the election. Joining us now in studio is Emily Schulteis, who is a political reporter for CBS News. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on with us. And you can follow her great work on Twitter at EmilyRS. Emily, you were just in Germany and Austria. We've been talking this morning about the outcome of the election and and the latest in Donald Trump's orbit. Um, Obviously, with Donald Trump, there's always dozens of news lines you can follow in any given week. But um, there are a lot of parallels that were discussed during the course of the election on the rise of of populist as well as nationalist movements, not just here in the United States, but also in Europe. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you saw uh, both in Germany as well as in Austria? Sure. Well, I think that if you look at some of these far-right populist movements um, in in both of those countries and also in France and the Netherlands and a few other places, uh, it's no uh, surprise that these were the leaders of these parties were the first people to congratulate Donald Trump Mm. on his victory. And so a lot of these parties have felt uh, really energized, have felt really emboldened by the fact that that Mr. Trump has won here in the U.S. And so Austria just had its election um, a little over a week ago. It was a far-right candidate, Norbert Hofer, versus a Greens candidate. And the election really did not center on the U.S. election, but but the idea that both parties and both candidates were really using that as, as a reason to vote for them. You had the Green candidate saying... Donald Trump's election in the U.S. means the United means Europe needs to really stick together. Means mm. that we need to find the things that that keep us in common rather than than looking for things to divide us. You had the the far right candidate saying this shows that the things that we're talking about are important here. And ultimately, what ended up happening was that the far right candidate uh, was defeated by a pretty solid margin. So over there, they did reject at the end of the day, though the 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 message from the far right candidate that that that, which which we have seen that trend you know brexit was the biggest comparison with respect to donald trump where of course you know they the united kingdom 
there was, of course, the referendum as to whether or not to stay part of the European Union. And it very much did have to do with similar, you know, populist, but also anti-immigrant tones. Right. Um, and Nigel Farage, who was leading the far right movement in, in the UK, is a not surprisingly, closely <laughs> associated now with Donald Trump already after the election was photographed meeting with him. Mr. Brexit. Mis You're going to call me Mr. Brexit. Brexit plus plus plus. Brexit plus plus plus. was plus, the, plus. Uh, was right. the exact That's terminology. Right. That's right. Now in Germany, um, so there we were expecting elections in the fall of 2017. Yes. And again, you have an anti-immigrant sentiment. Now, of course, Europe, a lot of this has to do with refugees. Right. Because in particular in Germany. In particular in Germany. Because um, those are countries that have pledged to take hundreds of thousands of refugees. This is, I mean, we, we, we said something like 10,000 in the United right. States, and that caused an uproar. We've only admitted less than 2,000 because the vetting process is, contrary to reports, extremely rigorous over here in the United States that, you know, there only have been less than 2,000 who have actually been able to get into the country right. of, of the up to 10,000 that the Obama administration wants to accept. So Germany is is that really what's driving the the, the sentiment there that people there there is a backlash toward the acceptance of of those refugees and concerns over national security. So I think that's the jumping off point for it. And I actually I talked to a, a pollster in Berlin um, who said something along these lines. Who said that you know the the um, AFD the the far right party in Germany that that was the issue that they were able to seize upon. You know, Germany has taken now approximately a million refugees. Which mm. if you think about that in scale to the size of Germany versus the size of the U.S., that would be millions mm. of people here. And so uh, that was something that. As there were concerns about that in 2015 and 2016, that's what really got this party to start winning some local and state elections, got people paying attention to them. And I think now it's it's certainly still about that, but it's also about this general uh, frustration with the establishment. Um, in Germany, they have a grand coalition between the center left and the center right parties. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of fuels this idea that, you know, nothing's getting done. These parties are basically the same. They don't, you know, they don't really agree with or believe in the things that I'm, that I care about. So how precarious is the position at the moment in Germany um, for, you know, Angela Merkel, who's like kind of seen as the last left <laughs> figure in, right. in, in the scheme of, you know, where, where things stand with with this movement, um, you know, in, in Western Europe, certainly. Uh, would you say that she is truly vulnerable? I, I think most people in Germany believe that she will likely win another term. If the question is more about how AFD, how this other party sort of affects the rhetoric that she's using, the rhetoric her party is using. Um, they had their convention last week, and uh, the party members wanted several things, several sort of concessions that would kind of help to, to shore up their right flank, such as a partial burqa ban in mm -hmm. Germany, um, talking about revoking some citizen rights, citizenship rights for people of foreign origin. And so, so Merkel came out in favor of the partial burqa ban, which is a right. first for her. And so I think that's your, you have many people in Germany who worry not specifically that AFD is going to take over the country, because I think that's, no one's really concerned about that. Um, but it's, they're more concerned that their influence is growing enough that they're going to have an effect on everybody else. Right. I, that was one of the big pieces of news indeed, where Merkel, um, you know, said, she embraces a partial burqa ban as well as niqab. Now, you know, these are, of course, within the Muslim world, 
women who are not just veiling themselves by wearing a headscarf, but, you know, wearing a full burqa or, you know, niqab is just, you, know, you only see um, their eyes. And it's, it's framed as a, a way of pushing back against oppression. But I think the, the, the you have the civil liberties and, re, and right. religious freedom advocates who say, well, it, it really has to do, though, also with people's idea that there is something inherently wrong also with, with the religious component of it. Um, and uh, that, that's, that, I think, was the first indication that she, at least to, to observers from afar, that she does feel some vulnerability here. Definitely. Um, so, so one of the things we've been talking about this morning, though, because I also you know, want to hear, I'm curious to hear what you heard while you were out in Europe, is Russia and its interference with the election according to the CIA. Um, because Europe is already... Certainly NATO, our NATO allies have already been um, concerned with with Donald Trump's rhetoric during the course of the campaign, let alone now these reports of interference, because he had said that he wouldn't necessarily come to the defense of NATO allies. Um, that was a Jesus. moment, too, of the many things. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so what, what? All these things I keep remembering. <laughs> but, oh, God. You know, in terms of the hacks, what's been the reaction over there? I think there is there's certainly concern um, in Germany that that uh, Russian agents or uh, Russian interests are going to be working to influence their elections as well. I've I spoke with one member of parliament from Angela Merkel's party, for example, who said that they'd been briefed on this issue, that he already when he looks at his Facebook page, he sees hundreds of, of comments, many of them from what they believe are Russian trolls uh, and, and that they really do worry that that. I don't know who, what the equivalent exactly would be of a, of a John Podesta over there. Mm -hmm. There's not quite the same thing. Yeah. Um, but, but they do worry that, that the attempts from the Russians were not just uh, limited to the U.S. this time. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Joining us now in studio is Sarah K. Ellis, who is the president and CEO of GLAD, of course, an organization that does uh, great advocacy on behalf of people. And Sarah, well, Sarah Kate, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me this morning on Tuesday. Tuesday, uh, all day long. All day. <laughs> all day, all day long. Um, you know what? We have a lot that we could delve into. Uh, but first and foremost, GLAD has launched uh, the Trump Accountability Project. So tell us what that is. Certainly. Um, it's something that we've never done before. This is, we feel that we're in unprecedented times, so we're taking unprecedented measures in mm. terms of media coverage and understanding of where the president-elect is going around LGBTQ issues. So this program is really, uh, project, excuse me, is really about taking all of the people that Trump is appointing to cabinet positions and close um, advisors and understanding their stand on LGBTQ. 
I think one thing that we've recognized very quickly out of um, first the campaign and now the president-elect is that there's a tremendous confusion. And um, I would say, you know, two talking um, Mm -hmm. says one thing, does another, says another thing, does another. Um, And so this is really about holding him and the administration accountable on LGBTQ issues. So, you know, he'll say that he's for marriage equality and then he will bring and surround himself with the most Mm anti-LGBTQ people that there are that you could possibly pick. Um, So it's really about um, holding him and this cabinet and this administration accountable. And so how do you plan to execute that? Is this information you're putting out for the media as well as the public? Are there certain materials that you're disseminating? So all of it's available on our website, which is we're glad with two ways. So www.glaad.org backslash Trump. Um, and what we've done is pretty much created white sheets mm-hmm. on a daily basis of, a, basis of anyone new to his inner circle cabinet picks that that is all source material. So it's not any third party understanding of these people. It is all things that they've said, press releases that they've released, shows that they've been on their spoken words. So it all goes back to the original source that we're that that we're quoting or or providing. And then the main goal for this is to give the media a one-stop place to understand where this administration is on LGBTQ mm-hmm. issues. And this way they can hold these um, cabinet members and administration accountable on LGBTQ issues and push back when one thing is said, but then other people are appointed or other people are doing different things. Right, because you, you talk you talk about that confusion. I do think there indeed has been... Um, conflation of even uh, mm-hmm. of between Donald Trump not being a, an ideologue in the in the traditional conservative <clears throat> sense where you know on the one hand he, he said okay the Supreme Court has ruled on same-sex marriage I'm, I'm okay with that that was one of his interviews after the election mm-hmm. I believe the sit down 60 minutes but then his vice president elect is Mike Pence true who was of course uh, nationally in the news mm-hmm. um, right before the campaign for pushing the religious signing, the religious freedom the law. The so-called religious. So-called, right, yes. what, they cla- what they call a so-called religious freedom law that that would just deny, enable people to deny service to LGBTQ individuals if they so chose. Yes. Sanctioned discrimination, basically. Um, so... That that's one of the challenges we have, right? Um, he'll get on sixty minutes. Trump will get on sixty minutes and say that you know that's a thing of the past. The marriage equality has been handled. Yet he'll appoint someone or bring his VP Pence. And so Leslie Stahl, who did the interview on sixty minutes, never pushed him back on that. Never mm-hmm. said, "Well, what about your vice president? Is one of the most anti-LGBTQ people out there in in the world of politics and pushed." Um, the Indiana bill forward and signed it and, you know, with religious leaders at at an odd time and, you know, was very clandestine about the whole thing um, and then got a tremendous amount of back uh, backlash and and back down on it. but has very um, has a tremendous history of being anti-LGBT. It's very pro-conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Conversion therapy is the idea that you know that that you can go through therapy and 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 
lose, I guess, your gayness. I'm not really sure. It's, it, you know, it's supposed to unwind you or something. And it's incredibly dangerous for especially youth mm-hmm. um, who whose parents see this and put them in conversion therapy. And these kids are, are have a higher percentage rate of suicide. Um, and and it's it's been medically disproven time and time again that being LGBT is you know it's not something that that is you know you could go to therapy to undo. You know, Glad has been at this for a very long time, mm-hmm. uh, and you've been a leading voice for a very long time. Um, but we are definitely in uncharted waters, <laughs> to <laughs> I say the say, least. Yes. So yes. I, I mean, I guess my question is, how do you prepare for something like this? Mm. Because as Sabrina's reporter, and for me as someone who you know watches this and covers this, I mean, nothing is out of the realm of possible. Nothing is, and that's how we're preparing for it. And so, what we did was for for a number of years, we didn't have a news team. We didn't need a news team because it, you know the reporting was really good. The wind was at our backs, but now we've re-upped our rapid response news team. Our first. Um, our first project out of that is this Trump accountability project. And now it's really about using non-traditional media to get the word out and to, so that people understand. But we have a lot to lose this time, too. Where in the past, we hadn't won marriage equality and, and some of our equal rights. Um, so there's a tremendous amount at stake for us here. And I do think anything is possible. And I don't take that for granted. Um, and I and I and my own. My feeling and the approach that we're taking from GLAD is that what the actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. And so who you're putting around yourself speaks more volumes about what you're saying in an interview. I, I want to dive more into that um, just because certainly the cast of characters that we that is emerging in the incoming administration um, just validates for many different groups of people who felt marginalized by this campaign. Um, I think some of the worst fears that they might have about where we're headed. My friend, Pamela Levy, political reporter at Mother Jones, is with us now in studio. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. You could, of course, follow her work on Twitter at Pamela Levy as well as online at motherjones.com. Um, P- Kellyanne Conway, of course, is uh, the most visible face within the Trump orbit. And uh, th- this morning's breaking news was that Donald Trump confirmed he will be nominating Rex Tillerson, the CEO of ExxonMobil, as his secretary of state, who's getting a lot of pushback from not just Democrats, but Republicans for his ties to Russia and Vladimir Putin. Uh, Kellyanne Conway made this statement to try and uh, quell concerns. A leading candidate, Rex Tillerson of Exxon, has dealt with Russia for many years. It's not like he's pounding down vodka with Vladimir Putin, the local bar, but he's dealt with him in a business context. It's not like he's pounding down vodka with Vladimir Putin at a local bar. While I appreciate the vodka reference because we're talking about Russia. Oh, I get it. He literally <laughs> toasted champagne with Vladimir Putin. So, so I mean, it might not be vodka it shots. It might not be vodka shots. But they did drink champagne together as they, um, con- you know, dealt in with their oil ties. And, you know, we know that the sanctions that 
that Tillerson advocates should be lifted against Russia were costing ExxonMobil as much as a billion dollars, according to SEC Fines 2014. Pema, Kellyanne Conway, though, I want to take a different direction. You know, she, she says that she has declined, um, and I say she says because we never really know what's happening in the Trump universe, but she says she has declined the role of White House spokesperson. Do we have any sense what other than being a TV talking head, she plans to do as the next administration takes hold? I think that uh, being a TV talking head is basically what she plans to do. Uh, <laughs> there's been uh, a lot of reporting that she is considering running an outside group that would support, you know, provide support for President Trump and his agenda outside of his administration. Uh, it's unclear exactly what that would look like. It's probably being spearheaded by the Mercers, which are this... Um, mega rich family in New York that funded a lot of, uh, they're really close to Kelly and Conway. They funded the super PAC that she ran supporting Ted Cruz, and then they switched their allegiance to Trump. And she's very close to um, uh, one of the family members in uh, particular, Rebecca Mercer. And so uh, I assume that that's where the money would be coming from. And I'm assuming it would be a, a better paycheck than from one inside the White House. Yes. And also maybe <clears throat> place her one step removed from all the internal drama within the Trump campaign where it seems like it's like every man or woman for him or herself. Um, but with Kellyanne Conway, if she's going to do outside work, it's all the more interesting because you reported on her background, essentially working for anti-Muslim and anti-immigrant extremists. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, I went to a, a press conference uh, about two weeks ago now, I think, uh, by a group called FAIR, which is an group that opposes uh, immigration and has was founded by someone who has expressed white nationalist sentiments. Uh, you know, it's a group with um, some really extreme proposals like ending birthright citizenship, deporting everyone. Uh, and they just sort of, hap well, it wasn't even happened. They, they went out of their way to mention that, you know, they've been working with Kellyanne Conway for two decades. She's been doing their polling and, you know, helping them craft their message. And, you know, they're, you know, very, you know, extreme, um, you know, anti-immigration uh, views are ones that they believe that she helped bring to Donald Trump. And I think that that I thought that was really interesting because I think people think of Steve Bannon as uh, the one with ties to, you mm -hmm. know, the so-called alt-right white nationalist right. Um, but Kellyanne Conway has uh, ties to some of those people as well. Uh, and then another group that I, I discovered after after that that she has also done a lot of work with was is the Center for Security Policy, which mm. is run by Frank Gaffney. And they basically just put out this conspiracy theories, such as, you know, that Huma Abedin was, right. Frank you know, Gaffney, a secret Muslim Brotherhood planned. Islamophobes. Exactly. Exactly. Country. Exactly. And so she she conducted a, a poll um, that I think we could, you can call unscientific because it's not, it wasn't like a random poll. It was like an online opt-in poll. Um, and it's the poll that, that Donald Trump used to justify his proposing a Muslim ban a year ago. Mm. Um, and she, she conducted that poll, and then she went on Frank Gaffney's podcast and told everyone that because of this poll, you could claim that you know, a significant number of Muslims are radical and, and have you know, violent beliefs and stuff. And she's a pollster. She knows that this isn't even a, a credible poll. Well, it's interesting because, as you mentioned, the conversation or the focus is often on Steve Bannon just because he was a, the head of Breitbart News, which was trafficking in all of this anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, just anti-minority content, anti-Semitic anti-African American <laughs> runs the full uh, No list. one is fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, take your pick. Throw a dart. <laughs> Throw a dart. <laughs> but but Kelly and Conway is someone who, you know, it's it's kind of like you, you she's people framed her as 
the the voice in Trump's ear who's the calming voice. The kinder, gentler the kind, racist. Right. Well, the you know, how to talk to women, you know. Exactly. How to, like, not be so rough around the edges. But it looks like, ideologically speaking, and that's why it's interesting you also brought that she was heading up the Ted Cruz super PAC, which also was very much, at its heart, pushing a lot of the anti-immigrant sentiment um, that Ted Cruz also campaigned on. Yeah, I think one of the things that, um, I don't know if, if listeners have been uh, watching Saturday Night Live, but there have <laughs> been some really good bits with Kellyanne Conway. But the theme of it is that she's sort of like, you know, is cringing at what she's doing and that she's yeah. sort of this like, you know, just happens to be this pollster who's working for this horrible guy and that yeah. she's sort of uncomfortable. Um, and I think that that's funny for SNL, but I think it's inaccurate because she doesn't appear to have any problem pushing, you know, anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant policies and has been helping these people craft their messages for decades. This is the Bill Press Show. Well, we've reached the end of the show, Peter. Sabrina, we made it on a Tuesday. Uh, gosh, I can't tell you how excited I am that you were here today on a rare occurrence. It wasn't a Friday. On a Tuesday. All day long. Which Jamie Sabrina, is Sabrina, I can't about. tell you how excited I am to uh, finally make our announcement today. You better think hard. I, I already know. Uh, just, uh, Peter... This is your birthday song. It doesn't last too long. Hey! A nice return from John Daly. Oh, we're doing the full version? I, I'll take the full version. My colleagues, the second verse is exactly like the first verse. <laughs> Can't do the whole version. My name is Sabrina Siddiqui, uh, and I did not approve this message. You played yourself. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, it, it, it is Peter's birthday today. He was very adamant we not mentioned it, but Jamie has not mentioned it. Therefore, the cat's out of the bag. Now, for real, happy birthday, Peter. Thanks, guys. Happy Enjoy birthday. It. Big birthday, guy. Happy birthday. Happy birthday thing. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. It's always a joy to be in this chair. Bill is going to be back here tomorrow, and hopefully I'll be back in not too long. Stay tuned to The Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show.